Welcome to the teaching podcast for Eubank Baptist Church. We are all about knowing more about Jesus and inviting others to do the same. We would love for you to join us on our campus on Sunday mornings at 8.30 or 10.45 and Wednesday nights at 6 p.m. This podcast is a place that you can listen to any teachings that you might have missed from our Sunday morning worship experiences. To stay connected, you can check out our website at www.eubankbaptist.org. You can also follow us on Facebook at Eubank Baptist Church and Instagram at eubank underscore bc. Thank you for being a part of the conversation and let's keep pursuing Jesus together. How many of us have ever built something? You know, when you build something, you begin with a plan. You sketch it out, you, you, you decide what you want to build, how, where do you want to build it, the, the size that you want to build it, maybe the materials that you want to uh, build it out of. So that, that way, for example, if you're setting out to make a dresser, you don't end up accidentally making a desk. You have a plan of how you're going to get from the rough lumber that you have to maybe the finished product that you're going to, to, to use. And so when you gather the materials, you begin piece by piece, right? You maybe go to Lowe's or maybe you go to Home Depot and you walk into that wood section, which makes you feel like a man, by the way. You, you walk into that section and you, you have to get that man cart because the little tiny dinky cart just won't carry those two by fours like, you know. And so you begin loading it up and piece by piece you begin cutting and you begin setting them into, into place until you have a final product and then you coat it with paint or varnish or something that you would protect it for, for years to come. Today we're challenged with a, a passage of Scripture today that uh, uh, we can be guilty, I think, of saying that, Pastor, nothing happens in this passage of Scripture. We come to this passage of Scripture and we read it and then we, we walk away thinking, okay, what was the point of this Scripture? Joseph is in the same place that he began when the passage ends. What was the point of this Scripture? And there are, of course, the, the, the things of the grand narrative that we must take into account. Uh, but we can be guilty of feeling that nothing happened. Well, what about us? where we feel like maybe God hasn't moved in the right way. We begin feeling that uh, maybe God didn't do the, the, the right things in our lives. Maybe he didn't perform the miracles uh, in your work, in your, in your job, in your uh, kids' lives, in your marriage. Maybe God didn't perform the miracles that you think he should have. And you're left in a place where you feel like you're unchanged. You're left in a place where you feel like you're just kind of in a rut. You're left in a place where you just kind of question, God, what are you doing? But I challenge us that today, that in times like this, God is not unmoving. God is not a, a stagnant being like we so often accuse him uh, of being. And I think, honestly, if we're realistic with what God constantly does in our lives, there are three things that we're going to see out of today's passage that I think God shows us constantly. That God is constantly building, He's constantly preparing, and He's constantly investing. If you have your Bibles, open to Genesis chapter 40. In Genesis chapter 40, we're going to come and we're going to begin reading in verse 9 and we're going to work our way back to verse 1. But in Genesis chapter 40, verse 9, we're going to get a familiar passage. 
So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, so I took the grapes and I pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, This is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house. For indeed, I was stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should have put me into this pit. And when the chief baker saw the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I have also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head and the utmost basket. There were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, this is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree and the birds, they will eat the flesh from you. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of his uh, the 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 head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the baker among his servants. He restored the cupbearer to his position and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hung the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to him. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but had forgotten him. Let's pray, Father God, Lord, I thank you for today. Lord, even though we cannot gather in this building today, Lord, I know that, Father, we are scattered all over. Lord, you have brought us to all over our county, all over Pulaski, all over Lincoln County, all over Casey. Lord, I I just pray that, Father, you in this time would challenge us. That no matter where we are, God, the distractions that are surrounding us in our, in our living rooms, in our, in our kitchens, in our cars, and our wherever we may be, God, would you just take those and put them out of the way. Take me, hide me behind the cross, that today, Lord, would be a day that we just, just see you at work. Father, as we've read your scripture, God, I just pray that, Father, you, like this, would take the interpretation. God, would you speak it to us today, that we would hear from you. And God, I just pray that, Father, in this time... You would just do what only you can do. Father, would you just call us to yourself? Father, maybe there is one listening that has never truly put their faith and their trust in you today. God, would today you be speaking so that they could hear. So, Father, as we go into our message, be with me. Guide and direct me that I could just be a vessel that you use. We love you. We thank you. We pray all these things to your son, Jesus' name. Amen. Born on February 4th, 1906, Diedrich Bonhoeffer would know what it's like to spend his last few moments in prison. Bonhoeffer was arrested on April 5th, uh, 1943, and he had operated an underground seminary teaching the evils of of Nazism and the power of Jesus and empowering the, the confessing church of Germany. The National Church, which was the church that Luther had left in uh, charge of uh, Germany, had embraced Nazi, uh, Nazi ideals and pledged their allegiance to Hitler. 
but the confessing church confessed their allegiance only to Christ. Well, as the Nazi party raged, Bonhoeffer became public enemy uh, number one. He would speak uh, against the churches that had embraced the Nazi thinking and acknowledged Hitler as, as, as Fuhrer, one who uh, in German said that he has absolute authority. This was similar uh, to what the Reformation was about when they would call the Pope the one with absolute authority. This was the, the, the interpretation of the Fuhrer. Bonhoeffer's books were banned and those in possessions of his writings were to be shot on sight. And around 1939, Bonhoeffer was brought to New York uh, for refuge. However, he only managed a month in New York before he returned to Germany. He was burdened and he would say, I have left the confessing church in one of the worst spots it's ever been. And who am I that I should leave the church in this time? And so after spending three years on the run, once he returned, he was finally captured and uh, transferred from concentration camp to to concentration camp. And on February 9th, he was led out to the gallows in order to be hung. And he spent the entire time preaching to the crowd. He said this, So heaven is torn open above us humans, and the joyful message of God's salvation in Jesus Christ rings out from heaven to earth as a cry of joy. I believe, and in believing, I receive Christ, and I have everything. I live before God. This is for me the end, but it is the beginning of life. Bonhoeffer would die that day, but not before realizing that God was still at work. You know, much like Joseph, I bet when Bonhoeffer boarded that that ship back to New York, he would never imagine being in the position uh, where he was to be hung. And it's a powerful testimony. And as we come into today's passage in verse 9, the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph. And so the chief chief cupbearer told this dream to Joseph. And we're picking up in the middle of a passage. Remember, uh, we are, are to the point Joseph is thrown in jail and he had gained some favor with the jailer. And in fact, we are told that the jailer put Joseph in charge of the prisoners. After some chime, the chief cupbearer and the baker were said to commit some great offense against the king of Egypt. Now, much like Potiphar, Pharaoh had an attendant uh, in his house, and there was one thing that he was most likely not in charge of, was that his food uh, and his wine. You see, food was the easiest way to assassinate somebody, to remove them from power. And so that person that you had in those positions had to be of the utmost trustworthiness that had to be of the utmost authority and so uh, apparently they conspired against the pharaoh and he is put into potiphar's jail that we are told and uh, we are told the captain of the guard who was potiphar in the last chapter but he's not mentioned in this chapter puts joseph in charge of them and they begin to have these troubles And read with me in verse 6. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. And so he asked Pharaoh's officers who uh, were with him in the custody of his master's house, Why are your faces downcast today? And they have said to him, We have had dreams, and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God. Please tell them to me. 
He said, do not interpretations belong to God. You see, in the ancient Near East, dreams were very powerful medium in which people would consult magicians and astrologists in order to to reveal the truth about their their, their lives in them. And Joseph, in this moment, is is giving this moment, he's admitting that uh, there's only one real interpreter of these dreams, and that is God. Now, this is a very interesting development for Joseph, if you remember, just a few weeks ago, this is the same Joseph that uh, uh, that came and uh, told his brothers and, and his parents, and uh, what I assume was excitement about these dreams that he was having, and their response was, "Who, who are we that we should bow down to you?" And Joseph was this 17-year-old hotshot, and we come here, and Joseph is more than likely about 27 or 28 years old in this time. And what I love about this passage and what I see about this passage is uh, this really, and this is a freebie, this kind of shows me a lot about uh, how smart we were at 17. Do you remember how smart you were at 17? Listen, I was the smartest human being that existed in this planet at 17. As I got older, I got dumber. And I was the smartest I ever was at 17. But here, if we're honest, we see a lot of similarities between 17-year-old Joseph who was put into the pit and a slave and 27-year-old Joseph who is in prison. And we sit and we see and we think to ourselves, why would God allow Joseph to be in prison for so long? Why would God allow Joseph to suffer uh, for so long. He was innocent. He did nothing wrong. Remember, this is the point where we come. It, it, it was not just that Joseph was innocent, but that God had allowed him to go through all of these trials in the midst of this. But God was not just waiting. He was not just seeing, well, I wonder what's going to happen if I just leave Joseph in this jail for long enough. God had a plan that was coming to, 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 to that was being worked on in all of this. First thing, I want you to get out of this passage this morning, and I want to remind us of this morning, is that God was building Joseph's character. God was building Joseph's character. And, and I don't know, maybe I'm reading too much into this, it, 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 but Joseph, who is now giving credit of the interpretation of his dreams to God, absolutely had to have learned something at 17 when he came and he gave his dreams to his brothers, completely oblivious to the fact that doing so would make them want to kill him. They were already jealous. They were already having issues. And 17-year-old Joseph came uh, and gave to uh, uh, gave, the, gave them the interpretation, completely oblivious to what was about to happen. And maybe I'm just reading too much into this, but it seems like Joseph has learned a little something. In the Pride and the Prejudice, which I was forced to read in high school, there was a significant scene in the book where uh, they were, uh, where uh, Miss Bennett and her daughters were visiting the, the Rosing Parks, and they come to this grand estate of uh, of uh, Catherine de Bar. And during the visit, Lady Catherine, who is known for her condescending behavior, for her her Snyder snarkiness, comes and as Miss Bennett's playing piano, she uh, gives this snobby remark insinuating that, well, if Miss Bennett had only learned how to play piano, uh, she probably would have been better at it. But there is no one in England who has better refined taste than myself. And this moment kind of highlights the social class difference between Lady Catherine and, and Miss and Bennett. There's a kind of a stark difference between the two. But just like Joseph, there is a very stark difference between the brothers and him. I think that God was using this time to grow Joseph. 
We can already see this large growth happening into him by admitting that this, uh, this interpretation, this uh, uh, pitronym, is from God. It belongs to God. It can only be interpreted by God. Have you ever taken something apart just to see how it works? You see, Joseph, I think, is taking things apart to see how the interpretations work. He, he is coming to understand that it was by, from God. He's learning a place that if we were honest, has to break and take apart his soul to know why he is in the position that he is. And maybe I'm reading too much into it. Maybe I'm, I'm doing too much. But there, had to, there has to be a moment where Joseph has to think, why am I in this prison? What's going on? And when the cupbearer and the baker show up and they announce that I've had these dreams, I've had this, this, this vision, I've had these dreams, and Joseph says, I think I know why God is in charge of the interpretation. Please tell them to me. Please tell them to me. Adversity builds character. You know, nowadays, I think we're guilty of, Lord, thank you for not giving me any adversity today. God, I thank you, Father, that you did not allow me to have hardship today. But I think if we realize, especially if you go through and you read a lot of the writings of our forefathers, they would have said something completely different. They would have said that the worst thing, Lord, that you could give us was no adversity that we may grow by it. They understood that in adversity, character was built. And can I tell you that in prison, Joseph is in adversity. Joseph's life has been a life of a lot of adversity. Remember, he was, he was cast into the pit, left for dead. He was sold into slavery. He was sold to Potiphar. He is now in prison. Joseph's life is full of adversity. And he's laid in this prison for three years. All of the evil circumstances in the world lead, uh, lead us to know that God is still working and building you know, Joseph's character. And, and the realization is sometimes God uses circumstances in our lives to build our character. God uses these, 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 these adversities. God uses these hills. God uses these trials. God uses these valleys, whatever you want to call them. God uses all of these to build our character. And we finally come back to our verses in verse 9. The chief guffbearer told his dream to Joseph and said, In my dream there was wine before me. And on the vine there were three branches, and as soon as it budded, the blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, This is its interpretation. The three branches are three days, and in three days Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand. For as formerly when you were his cup bearer. Joseph told him that in this dream there's an interpretation. These things, they stand for three days, and he will lift up your head, and you will come back, and you will be brought back. And in verse 14 he says, Only remember me when it is well with you. And mentioned me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house, for I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and I have also done nothing that they should put me into the pit. Joseph takes a few moments, and he begins to share this life story with this cupbearer. Joseph begins to share just a little bit. He's like, I was stolen out of my land. I've been put in here. Listen, I'm not even supposed to be in here. I'm innocent. 
you know, like every person in prison says, I'm innocent. But Joseph is truly innocent. He is innocent. He's telling this cupbearer this, and he's asked them. He said, will you remember me? Will you mention me to Pharaoh? Because if there was anybody who had power, who had access to Pharaoh, it was his cupbearer. Because remember, remember, as we go back, the cupbearer was allowed into Pharaoh at all times. Because whenever the cupbearer was thirsty, the cupbearer had to be ready. And so we come to this place where Joseph asks him, he said, remember me. Remember me in this time. Second thing I think we need to come out of this that we need to understand is that God was preparing Joseph for service. God was preparing Joseph for what God had planned for Joseph. Listen, it was not good only enough that I think God was building Joseph's character in the fact that he had changed from the fact that he was 17 to 27. I think that, that in this time, God was preparing Joseph for exactly what God wanted Joseph to do. Listen, as we get into the beginning of, 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 of chapter 41, it is, no, uh, uh, it is no coincidence that Joseph is able to interpret these dreams rightly. God is preparing Joseph in that way. Many of us are aware of what's about to transpire, and we know that without Joseph's trust in God, these interpretations, oh, Egypt was about to be in big trouble. Without Joseph, there would have been great calamity. So after the cupbearer, the baker looks at this, and he's like, hey, that was pretty favorable. And all is going well, so let's fix that. In verse 16, the chief baker saw the interpretation was favorable. So he said to Joseph, I also had a dream where the three cake baskets were on my head and the utmost basket were all sorts of baked goods. They were all sorts of baked food. But the birds were eating it out of the basket and out of my head. And Joseph answered, this is his interpretation. Three baskets for three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree and the birds will eat of your flesh. The baker comes and he shares his interpretation. He shares his dream with Joseph. And this is surprising, I think, to us given the cupbearer's uh, testimony. But remember, they were thrown in jail for conspiring. And so one of them had to have been guilty in some way, shape, or form. And Joseph contrasts this last interpretation with the head will be lifted up from him. His head will be lifted from him. His head will be lifted up. And he says it will be off of him. You see, Joseph is given the chance to serve God here. And even in the midst of hardship, even in the midst of valley, even in the midst where you say, man, I just don't know that God is moving. I don't know that God is doing anything. I just feel stuck. I just don't know what God has planned for me. Can I tell you that maybe God's preparing you for service for him? No hardship is wasted. And maybe that is the testimony that somebody needs to hear today is that whatever hardship that you have going on in your life, whatever thing that you have that you feel, man, that God has abandoned you, that maybe God isn't doing the right things, or maybe you just feel like he is not where you should be, God is preparing you for something. God is using that. He's building character and he is preparing you for something. God is spending these offshoot moments preparing Joseph for what he is about to call him to do. You know, we live in a world that says, I want you to have something for me. You know, we celebrate birth month. It's not just birthdays, it's now birth months. We celebrate birth months with each other. 
We look for ways that people will like our social media posts. We look for ways that the boss will recognize how much harder of a worker that we are than others. You see, even the brothers, they wanted the birthright. They wanted what was Joseph's. But as we step into the New Testament, it changes everything. Because as you begin to get into the New Testament, what you begin to realize is it's not about you at all. And maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you just need to learn to get over yourself. And I don't mean that in an arrogant way, but the problem is we think that things revolve around us, but the realization of what the gospel teaches us is it's not about us at all. As we come into the New Testament and we see this man named Jesus, we see the sinless life that he lived, we see the challenge that he gave out to go into the world and make disciples, we see the sacrifice that he made on the cross, we see the resurrection in which he defeated death, we see the ascension into the right hand of the Father, we see all of these things and we begin to understand that really, realistically, we are not the main characters of this life. Jesus is. And we come to this. Because it can be shared with anyone, we begin to understand the gospel. Joseph was being prepared for service. Can I tell you that your life, everything that you go through, stands as a testimony to what Jesus can do. Because it doesn't matter what you've come from. It doesn't matter what hardships you are going through. It doesn't matter all of that. What the gospel teaches us is it's about the fact that Jesus can still overcome that and still rescue you. Joseph can still be rescued. God is still at work. And I think the last point will sum it up the best. God was investing in Joseph's future. Watch this in 20. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all of his servants and lifted his, uh, up the head of his chief cupbearer and up the head of the baker among his servants. And he restored the cupbearer to his position. And he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand, but he hung the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to him. But yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. God was investing in Joseph's future. Yeah, we live in an age where we want it right now. Gosh, man, I want this answer. I want, I want, the, I want the end, right? Maybe you're going through your daily Bible readings and you're like, golly, how long is this thing? I would like to just get to the good part. Let's get to the, let's get to the Jesus. Let's get to the cross. Let's finish this bad boy. But you come to this point where you understand that Joseph has been in jail for, for, for a year, for a couple years at this point, And we're coming uh, to the point where uh, he is being forgotten. And I think it bears a striking resemblance I think to how God can use people. You know, I think of the book of Jonah. How God used a rebellious prophet who fled fast and far away. He used a ship full of sailors to cast Jonah into the sea. He used a giant fish to take in Jonah for three days in his belly. He used a bunch of savage people that were known for executing anyone who challenged them in any way. And he used a worm chewing through a plant taking away Jonah's shade. You see, from the moment God called Jonah to go to Nineveh, he was investing in Jonah's future. 
Joseph, from the moment he was a child, from the moment that Jacob declared him the, 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 the favored one, God was investing in Joseph's future. And we're told at the end of the passage that the cupbearer did not remember Joseph. But in our first verses for next week, we are told that Pharaoh has a dream and there is only one man who can interpret it. Picture it this way. Joseph was left in the cell after the baker was executed. After the cupbearer was restored to position. And here Joseph is clinging to the He'll remember me. Yeah, he, I told him to remember me. He's definitely going to remember me. And, you know, my mind does funny things, but uh, uh, as we see here, he, he can, he, he's in this moment where there has to be despair as he's clinging to this hope that he will be remembered. And I know, I, and listen, I cannot help, and if I'm honest, and I don't want to sound melodramatic here, but I cannot help but eisegete that feeling into this passage because I feel like I have been here. I've watched my friends succeed. I've watched them enjoy blessings. I've watched all these things and I have felt trapped in this cell, in this cage where I would rot and I would just feel like everything and I would just remember and I would just feel like I was hanging on to this. They'll remember me. God will remember me. They'll, they'll do this. They'll, they'll do it sometime. My therapist used to say it this way. Uh, she said, Clay, the sun has not stopped shining. You've just simply allowed the blanket over you so that you cannot see it. And I cannot help but eisegete this loneliness into the cell with Joseph. And I know Joseph was more than likely content. Joseph was more than likely trusting in God. And I wish that I could say that in my life, that's exactly where I've been. But can I be honest? I, that's not where I've been. I forget over and over and over that God is investing in my future. It seems like more often I find myself in places where I say, God has forgotten me. But not Joseph. Joseph knows that God is still with him, that he is still favored. He knows exactly where Joseph is. He knows exactly what Joseph is doing. He is building, he is preparing, and he is investing in Joseph in this time. But can I tell you what happens? Satan will tell you the exact opposite. Satan will tell you that you are alone. Satan will tell you that your friends have abandoned you. Satan will tell you that you are lost. Satan will tell you all of these things. And can I tell you today that Jesus doesn't? Each of that is opposite. Because what Scripture tells us is that you are so loved that God sent his only son, Jesus, into the world to live a sinless life, to die a sinner's death for your benefit, that you would cry out to him to make him savior of your life. And through that, you would be saved. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never done that. We're not going to have a traditional time of invitation, but I'm going to give an invitation because, listen, even if you're listening, if you're in the extent of my voice, let me let you know that God loves you beyond anything that you can even comprehend and understand, and he wants and he desires a relationship with you that you would cry out and you would say, Lord, I need you as Savior. I can't do this myself because right now I am condemning myself to hell. I'm trying so hard, but I have failed over and over and over again, and I have deserved nothing less than that. And maybe you're here today. 
you could hear this, I want you to know that you doesn't have to be that way. God desires a relationship with you that you would say, Lord, here I am. That you would say, God, I know I'm a sinner. God, I believe that you died on the cross. God, right now, I just want to challenge or I just want to shout that you are Lord. You can do that. There's no special incantation that we can pray, but if you would just be honest with the Lord, you would say, Lord, I'm lost. God, I'm a sinner. God, I know that your son paid a debt for me on the cross. I know he rose, defeated that sting. He took that away so that I could have an eternity with you. And right now, God, I don't know how, but right now I'm giving you my life. Lord, would you just take it and make it right? Listen, if you could pray something like that, it's simple. Maybe you're here, you've been a Christian for several years and you've lost that desire. Man, if you're just honest, that zeal just isn't there. Maybe you just need to refine it. Maybe you're here today. And there's tons of other decisions that you could have. Maybe God's irking you the fact that you never followed through in baptism. That first public proclamation that says, God, you have done a radical transformation in me. Let me proclaim it by my baptism. Maybe you need to be baptized. We'd love to talk. Maybe you're here today and there's another decision. Maybe God has set you apart for something. We'd love to talk. But I'm going to pray. At the end of this service, at the end of all this, is nothing but saying, as we, as, we, as we have a few closing remarks at the very end, it's nothing but saying that, God, you are sending us. And here I am. Father God, I thank you for today. God, I thank you, Father, for what you are doing. God, I thank you, Father, for this time together. Lord, while we may not have a time of true invitation or the gospel has been sent, Lord, it cannot return void. God, I pray that, Father, anyone within the extent of my voice, God, they would know. They would know that they would know that they would know that, Father, they are your child. God, if they were to die today, they know they're in your house. Lord, maybe there is one here that needs to follow through in baptism. God, would you just encourage them that it's time. Lord, you've already done the work inside their heart. God, you've already done the work inside of them. And Lord, it's time to, that they proclaim it publicly. Lord, maybe there's one here, God, they just need help. They need some kind of prayer. Lord, I know that there are hurts and issues all over. And God, I just pray that, Father, you would be with them in this time. Lord God, you would just move and do what only you can do. Father, we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.